Once a month, a group of dedicated professionals ventures into their community to serve those less fortunate than themselves. They're not carrying hammers and nails to build a house or ladles and pots to work in a soup kitchen. Rather, they're equipped with blow dryers, scissors, and love. They call themselves hairdressers in the marketplace, or him. Once a month, they host Day of Beauty sessions where women in need receive free pampering from haircuts to manicures, but also to hear of the love of God for them. Him goes to nursing homes, homeless shelters, and facilities for the mentally handicapped to provide free haircuts and communicate the love and value to those whom they serve. The founder was Teresa Rousseau, who could never seem to find the right fit for her skills and passions after trying numerous volunteer positions in her church. And for a while, she wrestled with God and asked him, Why did you give me a talent that is so much about vanity? How can I serve you? She says God answered her prayers and gave her a vision for a group that not only communicates God's love, but also reaches out to other hairstylists. As Teresa explains, we focus on evangelism to the beauty industry, which is filled with so much darkness. Its underlying message is all about external things, glamour, and glitz. We want to bring the light of God's Word into our industry. And it's working. At one of their monthly events, the clients were teen girls going through drug and alcohol rehab. And one of the hairstylists was surprised by the girls' reactions. They told her they'd never had sober fun before. How about you? Do you want to be a redemptive person in the world, reaching out in some meaningful way for God, for those in need? Maybe you have a group of colleagues who has a longing to make a difference Don't depend, by the way, don't depend on the nominating committee to find you a ministry. You can use your skills and your interests to create a ministry that God may be calling you to fill. Reach out. Launch out. See what happens. One time a group of church members wanted to demonstrate Christ's love through small acts of kindness. They called on grocery stores and laundromats for permission to do specific things, small services. On one of those calls, the employee who answered the phone kind of hesitated. 
And then she said, you know, I need to ask the manager, but first let me make sure I understand here. You want to clean up the parking lot, and you want to retrieve the grocery carts, and you want to carry umbrellas for the customers, and for nothing in return? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, in a moment, that employee came back to the phone and she said, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we, we can't let you do that because if we let you do it, we'd have to let everybody else do it. Is that what you call help not wanted? Well, don't give up. Don't give up. There's a place. There's a place where you can serve for sure. In our Bible passage for today, we hear the apostles' comments about being a redemptive person, about reaching out to different categories of people. He was one himself. If you're visiting us today, we are actually in a in a year-long series from the book of 1 Corinthians. And Pastor Jeff is away this weekend, but he assigned me a passage in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, starting at verse 19 and following. So if you want to have your Bible open, you can just follow along. That will be our teaching passage for today. We know that in all of his relationships and interactions with others, Paul was redemptive. That was the purpose of his life. And notice how he puts it, starting at 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19. He says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Now, by calling himself a free man, he was declaring his apostolic right to be free from human control. He was not employed by the church. He did not report to an executive committee. He was not part of an organization of preachers vying to bring in the most converts. There was no administrative attachment to any other person. And yet he chooses to live by one strategy alone, to be a servant to all. Now there's a true minister for you. He does the Lord's work without pay. No one is paying him. He worked as a tent maker to cover his expenses. He was self-supporting. He was free from all men, independently mostly, and yet a servant to all, but accountable to God. He goes on describing his life as a servant as a redemptive person. Verse 20. 
And to the Jews I became a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law, as without law, but in parentheses, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now I do this for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Paul emphasizes the focus of his life and ministry. Five times he uses those words, that I might win. Winning a soul is the greatest thrill of all. And how much pay would you ask for that thrill? It's the highest reward. No pay can compensate for that. That was the driving goal of his life was to reach out to people of different categories, to reach out wisely and carefully and tactfully. Paul's object was not only to win souls for Christ, but also to strengthen the church. His words were addressed to the Corinthian church as loving instruction. The church in Corinth was suffering from an outbreak of individualism. When it came to the matter of eating meat that had previously been offered to idols, there were some who ate with an attitude. They ate without regard for those whose conscience was tender and sensitive about that. Now, of course, those who ate the meat knew that the meat itself was not contaminated. There is no such thing as a false god. And so meat offered to a falsehood means nothing. And God in heaven himself made the wood out of which the idol was made to whom the food had been offered. Nevertheless, the people who ate the meat in flaunted freedom were wounding others. There were some in the church who wanted no contact with anything associated with idol worship. So you can imagine the dilemma that arose when that meat showed up at the all-church potluck. Yeah. The effect was damaging to the church. And it's not good, is it, when our behavior damages the church. Now, in his audiences, there were people from all sorts of backgrounds, and it has always been that way. Even in the church today, there are 
people at all levels of understanding and knowledge. And we must be very respectful of where one another is at. Now, first off, Paul mentions he had the Jews. Verse 20. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. Being under the law was another way of saying Jew. In his audience were those whose religion was complete devotion to the ritualistic observances of the Mosaic law, the feasts and the festivals, and the whole sacrificial system. Now you can imagine the challenge Paul had of transitioning a whole nation of Jews away from the ceremonial system into a whole new paradigm under Christ who had fulfilled the, the ceremonial system by his life and death. What a challenge. People don't like to change. But because of Paul's tactful approach to them, many who trusted in their adherence to Moses were brought to enjoy the full knowledge of salvation by faith in the promised Messiah and Savior, Jesus Christ. He started with the Old Testament patriarchs and he won confidence by rehearsing the story of God's hand in Israel's history right up to the recent death and resurrection of Jesus. Hoping and praying that he could win the Jews to Jesus. What an assignment. What a challenge. To lead people through change. Now, under his preaching were also many Gentiles. Verse 21. To those who are without law, those are the Gentiles, to those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. Now he's referring to the Gentiles in his audiences. And there were many of them, of course. Among the Gentiles, he preached the keeping of God's law, but not the keeping of the ceremonial law. It had been abolished by Christ on the cross since he was its fulfillment. Yet, the moral law remains. Even though he associated with non-believers, Paul never violated the moral law. Yet, he explained to them that Jesus is our Passover lamb, therefore the Jewish ceremonial law of sacrifices and feasts that pointed forward to him were no longer binding. 
So he had that challenge to explain the gospel to the Gentiles, those without law. And under his ministry, there's another category. These were the new converts, or we'll call them the spiritually immature or the weak. These were the ones very delicate to deal with. They were easily offended, easily confused, easily departed the church. And their tendency to slip back into the world ran high, so Paul dealt with them in another way still. Verse 22, he says, to the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. More than anything else, they needed mature Christians to teach them Christianity's essentials. And in working with them, Paul restrained his liberty And at the all-church potluck, when Paul was coming through the line, here was the meat that had been offered to the idols. Paul would just walk on by. In their presence, he would not partake of the meat that had been offered to the idols in order to avoid the risk of damaging their newfound faith in Christ. He sums up in verse 22, I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now don't misuse these words to mean what Paul never intended. He was not a chameleon When he says, I was all things to all men, he was not a chameleon who changed his message with each new situation. Nor was Paul a compromiser who adjusted his message to please his audience. He was an ambassador, not a politician. And by the way, it's worth mentioning that Jesus followed the same approach with people. To the high-born, sophisticated Jew, Nicodemus, Jesus talked about being born again. But then when he talked to the Samaritan woman, there he spoke to her about living water. Jesus was flexible. He was adaptable with different people. And Paul followed his worthy example. Neither Jesus nor Paul had an inflexible evangelistic formula that was used in every situation with every category of individual. It takes tact to have contact. A redemptive person tries to build bridges, not walls. 
In reality, Paul's life was very consistent because his overriding purpose never changed, which was to win people to Christ. Though his method was adaptable, his object was always the same, to win souls to Christ. Now, how seriously did Paul expect us to take his words thus far? And what about today? Every speaker knows that a good illustration clarifies the point he is making. And as Paul continues in the passage, he now moves into an illustration to apply what he has said. He talks to us about an example from the sports arena to emphasize the seriousness of redemptive living. Verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, Paul compares ministry to athletics. Both involve a prize, and both entail the risk of being disqualified. Have you ever participated in a sport when someone blew a whistle and you were out? You were disqualified for some reason. Something happened. You didn't make it. Something occurred. They blew the whistle. You were disqualified. You are out. Just running the race will never bring the reward. Paul says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. In other words, there is a way to run. Imagine coming to the end of a 40-year career in ministry only to find out you are disqualified for retirement benefits. i tell you what. You mean I worked all my life long and now I'm disqualified? Paul hits home the possibility that our life service could actually have done damage in the church because of our individualism, our thoughtlessness, our carelessness in relating to others redemptively. Now, this applied to the Corinthians. They were careless in their attitudes toward weaker brothers and sisters. And these verses were meant to give the Corinthian believers pause vis-a-vis -vis their conduct toward those 
who were weak in their conscience about the meat offered to idols. How tragic if their own ministry was disqualified as being ineffective because of the damage their lives had done to others in the church. That should give us pause as well to how we relate to others. There's a way to do ministry and there's a way not to do ministry. At every step we should ask, will this course of action, this plan of behavior, this approach, these words, or this form of Christian living, will it increase my spiritual effectiveness or will it diminish it? We have to ponder this, don't we? Do you th think before you speak? Do you think before you act? I know I blunder many times, but we need to be more serious. We do not want to hear from God that what we've done disqualifies us. Think what an athlete goes through with the goal of obtaining a prize. Think of it. How an athlete concentrates during those long hours of training. There's a strict diet. There's abstinence from alcohol. And there's exercise sessions that are, that are almost masochistic. They're so serious. And all of this to achieve a, a perishable crown a crown that wilts or a crown that tarnishes with age and time. Likewise, the one who is redemptive. Paul says the one who is redemptive in this world also should concentrate on winning a crown, not one of fading celery leaves, but of immortality and peace and joy and happiness in the kingdom of glory. And so the redemptive person also concentrates. He sacrifices, he studies, and he carefully practices a life that will not suffer the disgrace of being found wanting by the great judge at the end of the race. How tragic it would be if our lives and personal ministries failed to measure up to the standard we ourselves have proclaimed and at last we find ourselves disqualified because we have done damage to the church and to the lives of precious people. Well, that concludes the teaching part of this passage. I think we got Paul's intent in what he was saying. 
And now let me just pull together these verses in three summary statements. Number one, it comes out of the passage. It just kind of bubbles up, you know, these things bubble up. Number one, redemptive people are servants. Paul said, though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a servant to all. When I'm at Walmart and I'm searching for something in the aisle, I always appreciate those people who have this little badge on and it says, how may I help you? I was down there just the other day and I was looking for something. You know, Walmart is not my department, especially in the food section. So I sometimes wander up this island, wander back, and there I found someone wearing that little badge. How may I help you? Just inviting me to ask for help, because I'm searching. Well, she helped me. She got out her little phone. She said, oh, it's on aisle, what is it, aisle four. There it is. Thank you. Thank you. Our world is full of people searching for the kingdom of God. They're searching for the way to heaven. Can we wear that little badge that says, how may I help you? Can we help them find what they're looking for? Jesus came all the way down from heaven to show us how to serve. He did not come to be served, but to serve. And it's worth our time to build relationships with non-Christians, even if they never trust the Lord. If you'll provide a context and love people for what they are and the, the level they're at, you'll provide a way in which they'll hear the music of the gospel you don't look down on them. Rather, as a servant, you look up to them because you're serving them. You are the towel wearer and the basin bearer. As Napoleon said, a man becomes the man of his uniform. So as redemptive people, let us wear the uniform of the servant. Number two, redemptive people are adaptable. I think Paul made that very clear. How many times did Paul say, I became? To the Jews, I became as a Jew. To the weak I became as weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. I became. One time I visited at a home that had an outbuilding. And inside, just one large room, very nice. Floor to ceiling on all four walls antlers. 
The man was a hunter. These were his prizes. I mean, four walls, antlers. You know, do you know what we talked about out there? Guess. For a whole hour, I became a deer hunter. Even though I've never, I've never fired a shot. Well, I had a BB gun when I was a kid. You want to win a deer hunter? You talk about deer hunting. And if I take an interest in his world, he might take an interest in my world. We all have different size comfort zones. It is said of some Christians that they suffer from hardening of the categories. They have no ability to penetrate into the non-Christian community because people are of different categories. That was the challenge Paul held out to the Corinthians. We're all different categories. Again, Jesus is our model, and when he came to earth, you know the kind of places he visited. He went to places where the likes of beer cans and poker chips would be found because he was willing to associate with people who were searching for something better. And that's where he found them. Let us be redemptive people who are adaptable. Thirdly, redemptive people anticipate a reward. How many times in Scripture does the issue of reward pop up? And here in this passage from Paul, we find it again today. Paul talks about a reward. He said, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. That's God speaking. It does make a difference how we live. There is a payday someday. We're going to reap more than we have sown. You can't even give a person a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus, but what God says, I'll never forget this. I'll never forget what you have done. I'll never forget. Come, you blessed of my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For, for I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison. And you came to me, inasmuch as you have done it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Enter in to the joy of the Lord. 
May each of us hear those wonderful words which our Lord will say one day to his people who have lived faithfully and redemptively for the saving of many souls. Shall we pray? Kind Lord, we thank you for teaching us today from your word these principles of redemptive living. I pray you give us opportunities as your people to be ambassadors of the gospel to people in all categories of living. Give us wisdom, give us tact, give us understanding. Send your spirit to enlighten our hearts. Thank you for your presence with us and for calling us to this wonderful work. And someday soon we'll meet souls in heaven for whom we have labored and prayed. What a day of rejoicing that will be when our Jesus we will see. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.